I'm Thomas Martinez, joined alongside by Daniel Rauschberger. This is our last episode in our original studio at my house here in Miami, Florida. 305 till I die. It's my city. Yes, so we are in my room. My room is empty. Um, as we've mentioned earlier, I'm moving as I head up to Tallahassee, as we head up to Tallahassee for college. We're sitting in a bedroom, Daniel, that has a lot of um, has a lot of significance to me, I guess. A lot of nostalgia in this room, especially now as you look around and see the dusty boxes and try to paint a picture for what this mess looks like right now as I pack for college. Well, you have your bed, no sheets, pillows on top, suitcases, boxes, posters. We have a football that's signed by somebody that we, we don't, don't know. know. They were uh, number 52, I don't know. Yeah, if anybody knows of a player yeah that... we'll, we'll, we'll post a picture on twitter yeah let us know please yeah three days left in my childhood home i mean for a lot of people listening i mean they're I'm, I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to have lived in the same house for my entire childhood so a lot of people can't relate to that idea of you know your home having such a significance to you um kind of i don't know yeah kind of just you know growing up in the same a lot of memories you know, You've grown up in the same house your whole life too, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. You know, it, it, there's always something, you know, there. That I'll tell you something. Tell me something. So I was, was cleaning out my room the other day, um, took down all the paintings in my room, right? Right. And then, you know, I walk out the room, I'm putting all the paintings in my sister's room. That's kind of where we're putting the paintings until, I don't know, it's just a mess. It's kind of hard to explain our thought process and filling up all these boxes. But I walk back into my room, I'm instantly just super nauseous. Just like, because I swear to you, like it felt like the, it felt like the walls were like at different angles. Like it, it felt like I was gonna pass out because it was just crazy to see like so these much. paintings that have been on the wall, the same exact paintings for my entire life, they're just gone. And that's where it really hit me. Just like a lot of change so fast. Yeah, and it's, it's gone to the point. It's just like, it's numbing at this point. Like my mom will be like showing me She'll be like, oh, like, this is from when you were born. Like, it shows, like, look at this newspaper from, like, the day you were born. Look at all this cool stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Like, I, I, like I've seen so many things from my childhood in the last few days that, like, it's, it's a lot, man. Yeah. Because it's so soon. Like, I, like, when we graduated from high school, like, I was thinking, oh, like, we have, like, two, two and a half months, and then we go to college. And it didn't really hit me, you know? Yeah, it, but, it's just, it's hit me in, like, the last few weeks. Yeah. Like, honestly, it hit me. When one of my friends went to UF and she she moved in, like, all their stuff. Like, most of our friends who aren't going to FSU... They're gone. They're gone. Yeah. And it's kind of like, we're, we're it. Like, that's... We're the next one's up. And it's in three days. And it's so much to, to think about and to in, have to... In three days, we will have been moved into college. Or four days. I'm not good at math. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we, we leave. We leave in three days... And on that third day, we're going to be... Jenny Murphy, 4-3, whatever. Well, no, we have three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, we move up. So in our fourth day. Yeah, three. Okay. Yeah. Got that down. Jenny Murphy. 
Denny Murphy. It's weird that it's pronounced Murphy. I don't know why. Everybody says Murphy though. It's Murphy. Yeah, it's Murphy. Okay. Apparently, Jenny Murphy. Fun fact. All right. Anyway, we're just gonna get sidetracked here for a second. Jenny Murphy apparently founded both Florida State University and the University of Florida, according to one of my cousins, Andy Flores. That's according to him. I'm not the one who came up with that information. According to him, that apparently he stayed. He went to the University of Florida. Just graduated from the engineering school. Wow. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he was telling me how he stayed in the Jenny Murphy dorms freshman year. Anyway, it's not that, it's not that important. Back to, back to change. Yeah. Back to change. And you know how much I love my car. Oh, you talked about it. We talked about it at length before. You know what happened this week? What happened? So this is what happened. So I believe it was on Wednesday, right? You know, I told you I have that problem with my steering wheel fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the mechanic is a great guy, you know, over on Coral Way and... Right by, um, right by the Palmetto, and um, he goes, listen, this is gonna cost you $1,700 to fix. My, yeah, my car's worth probably $1,800 if we were to put it on eBay, which we're probably gonna have to do, and you know why? Why? He told us that he could probably, he could probably get us an offer on a 2008 C-Class Mercedes for about $3,000. Wow. And when I heard that, my mom and I, we just like looked at each other and we're like, wow. That's a good deal. Yeah, I thought I thought it would be hard. I thought it'd be hard to separate myself from my car, but honestly, like I told you, all this change, it's so numbing to the point that I'm like, whatever. Like if I'm already going to lose like I'm going to lose the house, like I'm going to lose bedroom, like everything, the car like what, what does it even matter honestly? Like at this point. Like it's all it's just like materials. It's just like That's it's the memories that matter. I mean, how many miles are on the new? Yeah. Yeah, the new car has like eighty thousand miles. Okay. My my old car hundred six hundred fifty four thousand miles, one hundred fifty four thousand memories. Oh wow, that's. Yeah, you like that line? I like that line a lot. Yeah, but yeah, there's just a lot of things about Miami that I'm gonna miss because, as you know, as I've mentioned before, I don't want to be too repetitive. My parents moving to Sarasota. Like, I don't know when's the next time I'm gonna be back in the three hundred five. You know, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss the Cuban food. Oh my gosh. Definitely gonna miss um going to the Palacio El Palacio de los Jugos. Oh, I hate talking Spanish. Palacio de los Jugos? Yeah. Amazing. Let me tell you something, guys. I remember Thomas said, Daniel, you wanna have some real Cuban food? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, How sure. How long ago? How long ago? Maybe it was like Yeah, like a year ago. And he took me to this place and he said, I don't I don't speak Spanish. And Thomas goes, Don't 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 speak. Because if you don't speak Spanish, like... They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make fun of me. So he ordered everything, and I mean, what did what did we get? We had... Uh, we got some tostones. Tostones. We got chicharrones. Chicharrones. Yo. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. It was... It put me to sleep. I like that. It put me... Not to sleep. It put me to sleep. And we were thinking about going there today. We were like, it's our last podcast in Miami. You know, let's make it Miami theme. We were actually thinking about doing the podcast... As we were driving through it, Palacio de los Jugos, and then doing the aftermath on the way back, but we were like, "Nah, yeah, let's just let's just set this up, go to Chipotle, come back, do the thing, and be over with it." And so that's what we're doing. I mean, other things. I mean, speaking of like that Cuban culture, like that Miami vibe. Yeah, I think it's something that like the the fans. I mean, it, it being in a sports podcast, I think the culture of that like. Yeah, it's different. It's going to be different in Tallahassee. Exactly. I feel like the Miami fans... So like, laid you, back. 
It is. You know. Also, you know, like you know, Miami fans. Like Miami, Miami fans are interesting. Miami fans. It's when their team is good, they're complete assholes. Like <laughs> for sure. I mean, people always say like, oh. They're, they're terrible. They always leave in the fourth quarter or something like that. But There's some sort of loyalty in Miami fans. It's kind of like it's kind of like if they see if they trust you, if they trust that you're the person that's gonna try to put together a team every single year, they'll trust you. If not, Miami fans are really good at reading BS. They are. And like like with Pat Riley and the Miami Heat, Miami fans, you know, they trust them. They're a little bit more patient with them in the in the post LeBron years. But with the Marlins, when it comes to Marlins, when it comes to the history with Jeffrey Loria, oh boy, it's pretty funny because when Derek Jeter came in and he had that famous or infamous town hall at Marlins Park, everybody was just ripping him. He's, oh my god! And the rest of this country was like, "Why is everybody ripping, ripping Derek, Derek Jeter?" Because nobody understands. Nobody understands that Miami fans have been not even Miami fans. Miami politicians have been wronged by Marlins owners in the past. It's just such a rough history, and selling our players after we won and you know doing everything getting getting rid of I understand John Carlos Stanton is 300 million dollars it's yeah. a lot of money getting he's rid a, of Miguel Cabrera when he's in his early 20s getting rid of what are you doing you know like Miami fans want to see a team that's trying to excel and not one that's trying to get rid of players to start something new when it's going to take so long it's so tedious yeah I think I think they're just fed up with it you know so I'm going to miss the Miami fans might go to Yankees Marlins on Tuesday I was looking at the prices on StubHub thirty plus dollars to sit in the upper deck. Really, pretty funny considering that the Marlins pretty much draw six thousand fans a game. I think their minor league affiliates sometimes draw more fans than the Marlins. I would bet on it. Yeah, but besides the Mar- besides the Miami fans, also gonna miss you know trying to infiltrate my parents with the music that I listen to, trying to convert them to the music that I listen to. Daniel and I were, you know, driving back to my house from Chipotle, marveling at Tyler, the creator's live performances and talking about how we want to see him live one day. I, I think he's, he's hilarious. Yeah, Tyler, the is hilarious. He's such a funny guy. And I think that's great. Like, I think he doesn't take himself too seriously, you know? Yeah, that's why we really loved him. We were watching a video. He was at Lala, like last week, or whatever Lollapalooza was. And he's in the middle of performing Who Dat Boy off his last album. <laughs> and so if you've listened to that song, like it's a pretty hype lead up to the beginning of the song. And so Tyler's just standing there on the stage, right? We're all over the place on this podcast. We're just talking about whatever we feel like talking about. But anyway, Tyler's just standing there on the stage. And, you know, you think he's going to wait for the beat to drop before moving. And then he just sees that people are trying to create like 30 different mosh pits. And then he just stops the crowd and he's just like, what the F are you guys doing? He's like calling them idiots and stuff like, like, like I can't, he's like, I can't, I can't deal with all of it. You guys just, if you guys just turn around and make one big one, yeah, that makes sense. But you guys are idiots. Which doesn't really make sense considering there are tens of thousands of people there. It would have been very hard to coordinate Tyler, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I like my, I like my crazy musicians. Of you course. know I like my crazy musicians. You, you do. Yeah. You do. So I was actually, earlier this week, I was watching Kanye's interview on Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. If anybody, it, it's pretty funny as somebody who is a big Kanye fan to watch a Kanye interview with somebody who's never watched him speak before because it really is an experience. Really? Like if you've never, if you've never listened to Kanye speak before and you just watch one of his interviews, <laughs> you're like, who the hell is this person? <laughs> what is he saying? Yeah. So I was watching the interview with my mom and then she, 
And it's pretty funny because like she's listened to a bunch of his songs over the years because I infiltrated my parents with music, right? Yeah. And she's like, and then the next day, right? Yeah. I wake up, I go to the kitchen, and what do I see my mom looking at on her laptop? Kanye? No. She's looking at, she's just looking up like Yeezy shoes. Oh my gosh. Like, oh wow. Converted her. Converted her. Yeah, she's like, she's like, wow, I just want to see what all the hype was about. She's like <laughs> a really good guy. I'm like, oh! Okay. It took a while. <sighs> I, I thought about bringing that up after seeing um, a bunch of people posting about Taylor Swift's concert in Miami. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. Let's let's get into your life, Daniel. Enough about me. Enough about my life? Yeah, how, how are you doing? We started this we started this podcast with a sigh and a cough. Well, I... Uh, it was last night. had a family dinner. And uh, I looked at my mom and I said, Mom... I, uh, I feel a cold coming on. That's and she looked worst. at me That's and the it's worst. the worst. You feel like in the back of your throat and your nose and it's it's so bad. And I just, I kept coughing and it was the worst. This summer, let me just say, this summer has been full of twists, turns, ups and downs. I started off with my terrible shoulders and they're, they're ter- my dad is like, oh, Daniel, how are you, you know, how are your shoulders doing? And my dad, it's a mess. Oh boy, working at Abercrombie. I hurt my ankle. It's a tough job. It's it's a it's a rough job out there, man. I go to my doctor, right? And we're getting evaluated. I'm getting evaluated. He takes X-rays. He's like, yeah, well, your ankle's really it's it's inflamed. Like you shouldn't really be walking on it that much. Get, you know, a really good pair of shoes and stuff. And I'll get back to that later. So you're like, okay, yeah, now I know what the problem is. Exactly. Like, now I know what he, he gave me anti-inflammatories. And I asked him, so what about, like, working out? What about, can I squat? Can I do less? He goes, um, you really shouldn't work out any legs. More upper body core. And I'm thinking, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> because my physical therapist, I asked her, hey, how? what about working out with my shoulders? She goes, yeah, you shouldn't really do any upper body. More like legs and core. So I guess, guys, I'm just going to be doing a bunch of core work for the next four of five months. I, I could see that as like a curb your enthusiasm episode where it, Larry David just like... Everything's wrong. Every, I'm falling apart. <laughs> it literally sounds like the plot to one of the episodes. I just... Yeah. It probably should be. Larry David, if you're listening... He's probably not. He's probably not, but hey. He's a friend of the show. Oh yeah, you know, Larry, great guy. Are we going to work out really? when we get up there? When we get up to Tallaclassy? Tallaclassy? Will we work out? I don't know. We'll see. If I can have enough super glue to hold my body together. I can't. I, I can't get a break. I don't know. Some glucose. Some glucose. <laughs> Some glucose. Yeah, really. I just uh, all of that, and then getting a cold, and then last three days in Miami. I'm probably gonna get sick our first week of school. Yeah, dude. Did you did you get the did you get the lamp? <coughs> Daniel and I. Daniel and I. We've been talking amongst each other. Like what um, we're bringing up. Yeah. Are you bringing a lamp? The Ikea lamp? The it's Ikea a great lamp. Ikea lamp it is. It's, it's a really nice Ikea lamp, guys. We'll put that on Twitter. Put that on Twitter. Should we bring the lamp? Yes or no? I'm going to put it on Twitter. Yeah, put, put it on Twitter, yeah. Um, I'm going to see if I can take it down, which obviously I probably can. It's come. It came from Ikea, like, you know. Come on. Come on. Yeah, but I got the lamp. You got secure, the lamp? Secure the bag. Yeah, I got that. You know, I just, I, I don't know. I'm falling apart. You know who else? Just can't take a break. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins. Great transition. I just... <laughs> oh, wow. The Miami wow. Dolphins. 
playing against Carolina this week. Wow, that was that was a sight to behold. You know whose house I was watching that game at? Whose? A one Donnie Hudson's house. Donnie, you gotta love Donnie. Yeah, well, we'll get into do that. We have, yeah. Do we have enough time to talk about the backstory? Well, maybe. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, story time, kids. <laughs> so the Super Bowl was going on earlier this year in February, and my family decided, hey, why don't we do the Super Bowl one more time at my house? You know, we always do it, and um, yeah, we're gonna sell a house. Let's do it one more time. So Donnie, my dad's best friend and diehard Miami Hurricanes fan, um, I don't know what. But anyway, so he brought his huge projector to our house to watch the game, right? And so we had a watch party. Daniel was there. And if any of our listeners remember, and if they follow us on Twitter back then, <laughs> we just live-tweeted the entire game. It was great. And at some point in the game, Daniel and I were just like, we're just laughing the entire game because of the stupid things that we're putting on Twitter. And then my, my mom sees it on Twitter, and then she just like, we just hear from afar, Hashtag Donnie. Oh, wow. That got the ball rolling. That was a turning point. It really was. Because after after Daniel and I heard that, we were just like, you know what we're going to do from now on? Every <laughs> single tweet that we tweet from now on, we're going to end with hashtag, hashtag Donnie. And so for the rest of the night, we just tweeted, I don't know, hundreds of tweets. And amongst that tweet storm, we were talking about how to, how a dog crashed our party and we had, how we had to call the Pinecrest police. And the, and the owner of the dog had called the police and we found the dog and we were talking about the crazy ending and the Eagles finally ending their years of misery. It was it was insane. I mean, we're just sitting there, we're watching the Super Bowl. It's the Eagles versus the Patriots and it's a great game. And you look to our left and there's just these two dogs. Yeah. And we're like, who who brought the dogs? Everybody's looking like, whose dogs so are like, these? Oh my God, dog at the house, hashtag Donnie. Hashtag Donnie. And, and, it, and then my mom... With her, with all her brilliance, later on she goes hashtag Carlos, and that no, that's really when it all changed. I mean, it took it from like a com- from a, a, a regular level to a whole nother deal. Yeah, yeah, because Carlos, another friend of my dad, he was also there, and you know, just to have the support of both of them in all our tweets, it it really was it was interesting. So that was that was the end of that story. Back to the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins playing the Carolina Panthers this week. And yeah. let me tell you, that was probably, probably, hashtag Donnie, the most, the most Miami Dolphins performance I've ever seen. For sure. For sure. I mean, they have, they lost Jarvis Landry. Yeah. So we have Jakeem Grant, who's what, 5'7? Yeah. And who's the. Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson. 5'8. Who's 5'8? I mean, you want to know the most, Thomas, you want to know the most Miami Dolphins play of all time? Let me know. It's a third It's a third down, and it's like third and seven, right? Yeah. You need seven yards for a first down. Tannehill goes shotgun, takes the snap, throws a screen to Albert Wilson, yeah. and Jakeem Grant is blocking for him. He gets about, <laughs> he gets about two yards, yeah. and now it's fourth and five. And, and we're like, well, we didn't get the first down. And that's how Tannehill finishes 14 of 17 for, for 100 yards. How do you do that? 5.9 yards per completion. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, I was I was in shock. I was like, wow, why did I expect so much when I knew that this was going to happen? That, that's who the Dolphins are. I mean, they'll get you excited. Like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, right? So, the Panthers, they have a third down and 11, right? Right. 
How many yards do you think they get on that third down and 11 against the Dolphins defense? The Panthers? Yeah, third down and 11. They probably got like, what, 15? They got 12 yards. 12 yards. But you know what happens on the next play? It was very un Miami Dolphins esque. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying today. Xavier Howard, probably one of the only bright spots on the Dolphins. The corner, yeah. Yeah. Corner. Gets a cor- he gets a interception, returns it like 30 yards to the Dolphins' 10 yard line. Okay. And then I go, oh, okay, okay, I, I could get behind this, right? Yeah. You know what the Dolphins do? What? Run it right down the middle into the offensive line. You know what they do after that? What? Delay of game. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know what they end up doing? Kicking a field goal. Of course. The Miami Dolphins, the greatest football team. They take the ball from 20-yard line to 20-yard line. Like no one's ever seen. But when they're in the red zone, when they (laughs) are in the red zone, and that's not very often, when they are in that red zone, they score score field goals like no other. Put money on it. Yeah. Miami Dolphins are going to score a field goal every time they're in the red zone. So I think it's going to be a good year for the Miami Dolphins. I really think that this is a year that they go 8-8 eight eight again. Really? Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty uh, on-point projection. 8-8 eight and eight Dolphins. This, it like Okay, we know that the Dolphins are just mediocre. Does that make it like a successful season? Like, hey, we're 8-8. Eight eight. That's pretty good. I think it's, it's just like a meme, man. <laughs> it's, it's just like... It, it's just like if they get to 8-8, eight and eight, it's just like, okay, yeah. We tried. It's... That's what you expect. You expect the Miami Dolphins to go in eight. You remember that? I remember that um, quote from an old Bears, um, a Bears coach, and he was like, he was like, he was like, the Bears were who we thought they were, or something. You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I'm making really bad references today, but um, yeah, the Dolphins are the Dolphins, and Adam Gase is Adam Gase. What do you think about Adam Gase? He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> I I feel for the guy. We've gone through coaches and nothing ever seems to work i mean he brought in jay cutler yeah i think that's a that's a low that's Honestly, a low. adam gates it's pretty funny he's just like he just brings in his friends yeah exactly he brought in brock osweiler because he coached him in denver he brought jay cutler he just brings the guys that he likes i don't and it's not gonna work like it's not gonna win you football games last time i checked brock osweiler was not a very successful he had quarterback. One good game against the Patriots the year that they won the Super Bowl. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And he then showed up for a few games, and that team also had one of the best defenses of the the millennium. Yeah, honestly, it's just Adam Gase has to either step his game up or he needs to bring that hat up, and he needs to bring the results up as well. Because it seems like every press conference that you see him in. You never see his eyes. He's always he covers his hat with his eyes, and when you do see his eyes, his eyes are running amok. Yeah. Oh yeah. Covering his eye, his hat with his eyes. Yeah, Adam Gase, man. <laughs> his <laughs> eyes with his eyes. But okay. Adam Gase. Well, whatever. How many more years are you giving him? I mean, I'll tell you something. He won ten games his first year, right? Okay. Then Sano got injured the next year, so I don't know. I mean. And when the Dolphins do win 10 games, they're like 10 close games. And when they win 10 games, it's like they're playing teams like the Browns Yeah. and like the Bills. I'm pretty sure they did play the Browns that year. Honestly. They won in overtime. That was the year. Of course. Only the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> go to overtime. Go to overtime against the Browns. The Browns were like 115 that year too. Yeah. It was just, it was stupid. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that, um, I don't know if the Dolphins have the right culture. 
You know, I think they're 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 missing it. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think the Dolphins. You're looking at a team. You're looking at a team in which Jarvis Landry leaves, and he's just talking about. He's just talking about how Adam Gase only gave him a few routes, how he didn't trust him with anything. You're talking about a team that's had multiple scandals with offensive linemen. They have more. Um, I've heard this before. I think it's pretty funny. They've had more scandals from offensive linemen than they've had Pro Bowl appearances from offensive linemen in the last few years. So yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about when you're talking about culture in an NFL team, the Miami Dolphins are definitely very low. Yeah, I mean, speaking of like scandals and um, offensive linemen, Jordan McNair, uh, a pretty serious topic. Um, Offensive lineman, 19 years old, for the University of Maryland football team, mm-hmm. uh, passed away from a heat stroke that was untreated by a training staff, and it was, it was eye opening. It was very shocking. It's just it's something that you don't, it's something you don't see often. You always see coaches getting in trouble, and you know maybe players stealing stuff, and this is I think another another step because you have a kid. Who died on your on your foot on your football team and on the University of Maryland's practice field? Well, he didn't die on the practice field, but he was basically sentenced there. I mean, he yeah. he here here's what happened. It was four fifteen p.m. McNair and other linemen were near the end of their sprint set when McNair started having obvious difficulties, according to multiple sources. They ran a hundred and ten yard sprints in Maryland in the summer. And the man was having a heat stroke. Apparently, he was hyperventilating and he was unable to control his breath. He was presented with a temperature of 106 degrees. At the hospital. At the hospital. You know what a heat stroke is? A heat stroke is 104 degrees. He had 106. Apparently, what happened was he he had this, he was, he couldn't control his breath. He was hyperventilating and he collapsed on the field. And coaches had to pick him up and they had to walk him through another 80 yards worth of drills. Well, they didn't have to. They, they didn't have to. Excuse me, they didn't have to, but they did. And apparently saying that it was... Players Players would say that the, the coaches walked him through another 80 yards in the complete opposite direction of where he should have been going, which was the training facility, to be cooled down. The guy's barely conscious, and they're trying to get him to do workouts. I don't... I mean... I don't understand. The only, if you could pick apart any single positive from the situation, I guess it's the fact that the president of the school, unlike presidents of other colleges that have been embroiled with scandal in previous years, took full responsibility, legal responsibility, for the death of this offensive lineman, of Jordan McNair. And that's the way that he did it. That That's how you handle the situation. You yeah. know? Uh I mean, you have you have Ohio State recently with Urban Meyer, and um, the scandal involving the assistant coach. Um, I think it was like sexually assaulting his wife or something. I, I don't remember. Something terrible. And Urban Meyer just ignoring it or something. And then there's also the obviously the well documented Penn State scandal with Jerry Sandusky a few years back. Where Joe Paterno, legendary head coach at that school, just 
was completely negligent toward the actions of his star defensive coordinator. And I guess that's the one good thing that you could take from this situation. But, like, this is just another case of and football being taking, horrible to the human body. It's it's just... And it's not just that. It's I mean, we understand, like, if you're an athlete and you're a coach, you want to push your players. But there's always a borderline. And when you... When you have things that are happening to players like, and I quote, his head, he barely had control over it. He, uh, His head was limp to the point where it was back. They were walking him across the field to get him up and moving, I guess. But the, they basically took him over to position drills, which took a long time. I didn't see them bring him in, but it was a while. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't see, I don't see how you can look at a kid in that state and push him anymore, you know? Football is just one thing, but your your life is. This isn't like this isn't like Len Bias or no. This isn't like um that UNLV player who collapsed in the middle of the court. It's not that type of tragedy. This could have this could have been easily prevented, on site at that moment. This could have saved the kid's life. Yeah, but, um, and it just makes you think about how colleges, how NFL teams should treat their players when they know. Like, when should they know that their players had enough? Yeah. And as we go up to Florida State, as we go up to Florida State, um, I think we could say that Florida State hasn't had a situation, obviously not to that extent. Yeah. But I don't think they've had any situations of that type. I mean, the worst that we have is, you know, like, Jameis Winston. Yeah, he had his, he had his, his... fair share of scandals at FSU and and afterward and I guess the positive from those situations was that he was supported from the coaching staff and the athletic department when that happened but that's kind of there's gray area in that it's pretty easy to support a Heisman winning quarterback, quarterback yeah. that brings you a championship but yeah talking about other talking about other players who've had Some. issues with staying on the field Recently, yeah, Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon, yeah, um, let out a statement, and he's basically saying that he's back. It's good. To, he hasn't been at the um, training camp for the Browns, and all of a sudden now he's coming back after four weeks off. I think after four weeks off, taking care of his mental health. And what do you what do you take? Like, are you or do you think he's he's ready to come back? Do you think the Browns are gonna you know use him to his full potential? I don't. I don't even know if that's like the right thing to look at. I think, like we're just talking about like how teams take care of their players, and the only thing that I'm thinking about is how easy it is, how easy I think it sh- is for the Browns to cover for Josh Gordon in a situation like this. The guy's making pretty much a minimum contract, and he, he was. <laughs> pretty much the best wide receiver in the league three years ago on a team that had multiple quarterbacks of which I don't even remember any of their names but um, I mean people were saying that he was like the the next best thing he put up better numbers than Odell so he in like 13 games I think he had like 1300 yards receiving it was incredible but since that in their last I don't know four years he's only played four games or something crazy like that and I don't know what to expect 
I don't know what to expect of somebody I haven't seen in four years. How do you how do you gauge any player that hasn't played in that long? You take a risk. I mean, Josh Gordon. Is it a risk though? Is it a risk for the Browns for a team that's won one game in the last two years? I mean, is it a risk letting go this talent? Is is he better? He says he's back. He's taken off this much time, and you have to go with what he what you know his statements at this point. I mean, look at the Cleveland Browns. They've completely flipped their organization. You know, they have quarterbacks now. They have wide receivers. I mean, they still have to have the results, but yeah. Of course. Do it in the regular season. Do it in the regular season. Of course, but I mean, it's a complete 180 from last year, in my opinion. I think Josh Gordon brings to the table something that is unique. I think having other good influences like Jarvis Landry on the field Mm -hmm. is a great thing. I think he's probably in his best, least toxic environment that he's ever been around as a member of the Cleveland Browns. And on top of that, he has... Two pretty good quarterbacks, I would think, that are coming in. And Tyrod Taylor, who's a proven you know, starting quarterback in the NFL. And then Baker Mayfield, who's balled out so far in the preseason. I Watching watching the games, I mean, I know it was against the New York Giants. And it was against, you know, it wasn't a starting lineup, but he looked poised. He looked ready. And the way that he would sit in the pocket, roll out, make plays... You, you see, see that you see that throw to Anthony Callaway? I mean, yeah, Callaway. Oh. Yeah, we were. I, I was watching the episode of Hard Knocks, and I love me some Hard Knocks. Love Hard Knocks. And um, the HBO series every year. I don't know if everybody knows what Hard Knocks is. That follows an NFL team, and this year it's the Browns. And Anthony Callaway. What was he arrested for? He was arrested um, for something. Basically, <clears throat> what happened was he came. He went to the University of Florida. I think it's pretty funny that the Cleveland Browns have two University of Florida wide receivers that is... Never mind, I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, yeah. I, basically, he went to UF, and he was a first-round talent. This man had all the skill, all the talent, physical qualities that would make him a first-round prospect wide receiver. He got in some drug issues, and he dropped. His draft stock plummeted, and the... Browns picked him up, I think, either very, very late round or undrafted. And in training camp, basically, after the Browns traded Corey Coleman to the Bills, they were they said, hey, you know, Callaway, this is your spot. Like, show us what you got. On the weekend, he got pulled over, and something happened. He had a suspended license, and he was under the influence, or he had marijuana on him or something like that, and... Basically, after that, if you watch the the Giants-Browns game, he played almost every single snap. And that was the coach's... Talk about not giving your football player a break. Really, talk about not giving your football player a break. I mean, he for playing all the snaps, you can imagine how tired you, you must be. And he still made that incredible catch when Baker Mayfield threw him on the roll to the right on a sideline catch. It was incredible. Yeah. And then he threw him a... It was like Baker Mayfield's like last play, and he threw him like a slant. And Callaway took it to the house. I, it was incredible. But I think the Browns are taking risks on players, you know? All right. Enough Enough about the Browns. We've talked I mean, we've talked about the Browns in almost all of our podcasts so far. There's just something about them. I don't know. There's something about the team that hasn't won one game. Or has won one <coughs> game in the last two years. But honestly, yeah, I prefer having the Cleveland Browns as my football team than a team that's in a purgatory that never wins. 
or that never wins more than eight games. But enough about the NFL. Enough about the Browns. Enough about the Dolphins. Daniel, I watched a great movie this week. What movie? I watched. I know. I know you're a big Coen Brothers fan. Huge Coen Brothers fan. I watched. I watched this flick from the 1990s called Fargo. Great. Great. Let me tell you something, man. You know what I got out of that film? Oh yeah. Francis McDormand is probably my favorite actress now. Oh, you sure betcha. Yeah. Yeah, she's... I remember my first time watching Fargo, and not only was I laughing my ass off, because... Come on. Because of those accents. Those accents. But just so well... Like, so well well put together. I mean, Coen Brothers have to be one of the best filmmaker filmmaking like duos ever I mean Francis McDormand obviously married to one of the Coen brothers yeah. but nonetheless still an amazing actress on her own right yeah won an Oscar for her role no, she's won two Oscars no it's actually pretty funny because I was watching Three Billboards which was a movie that she won the Oscar for last year right for best actress and I remember watching that movie and just being like holy shit this actress is incredible her performance in Three Billboards is ridiculous. Just, I've, I've never seen anything like I don't even know how to describe it. Just have to kind of watch the movie. And after I watch the movie, you know, I do what I do when I watch most things. You know, I Wikipedia her. Of course. And I found out, oh, she was in this other movie that I've been meaning to watch. I watched it. It, it was a pleasure. I think I watched it at like 1 in the morning. I was laying down in bed and I was like, man, I can't fall asleep. I'm going to watch Fargo. Yeah. 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 Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi is pretty funny because in that movie, Steve Buscemi pay, um, plays one of the bad guys. One of the, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the plot of the movie, but let's just say he's just one of the killers, one of the guys on the loose in this um, murder mystery film. And, I mean, William H Macy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has to be the funniest car salesman I've ever seen. If I were to buy a car. I want William H. Macy to sell me that car. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. In great role, great movie. Everybody played their roles just superbly. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah, the movie ends with that encounter between Buscemi and, um, and I think the father, or the father-in-law of William H. Macy's character in the film. Yeah. And Buscemi, Buscemi, let me just tell you something about Steve Buscemi in general. There's so many good actors in Hollywood who they don't even need to play their character. They just play themselves in every single movie. Steve Buscemi is one of those people. You see Steve Buscemi in um, a film. You see a movie's coming out with Steve Buscemi. You know what you're going to get. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, you're going to get Steve Buscemi. And, you know, you look at other actors. You look at an Owen Wilson. Wow. Dude, honestly. You look at a Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> those are, yeah, those are just a few of those actors. I feel like after after a point, like after you made your mark, you can just act as who you are. Like people, they give you scripts and they say, here, do with it as you will. And I mean, Meryl Streep, like obviously she sits front row at the, Os- at the Oscars every single year. And I feel like every... Wow, I wow. do not know if you hear that, but that is the sound of thunder outside my bedroom window. Continue with your... Meryl Streep talk. My Meryl Streep talk. Wow, that was that was thunder. I feel like every year she does a movie, it's like she's not playing a character, she's playing Meryl Streep in that movie. 
And she's just so good, and she's made her mark so well that she can just do that. I don't know. I think she's overrated. Really? I think Meryl Streep is overrated. I, I was doing some researching earlier. And, you know, I've seen a lot of her movies, and I, I'm seeing some of the movies that she's been nominated to win Oscars for. I think she was nominated for that Julia Child movie that she did a few years ago. <laughs> just some of the movies. For Devil Wears Prada, I mean, when I watched that movie, I, I didn't think, oh, wow, this is an incredible piece of acting. I think she should definitely be in contention for an Oscar. I don't know if it was a weak year or something, but the lady's won three Oscars. <coughs> Another cop by Daniel. She's won three Excuse Oscars, me. and she's been nominated 21 times. 21. Are you kidding me? How do you win three Oscars on 21 no- I mean, 21 nominations, that's very impressive. Of course. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we have to look into that. I mean, seriously, how do you get nominated 21 times? But she's only won three times. And you know what? She's pretty much the Jerry West of actresses. There. I said it. Wow. Meryl Streep. Mark it down. Meryl Streep is the Jerry West of actresses. Yeah. I mean, who are your favorite actresses? Who are my favorite actresses? I mean, obviously, I love her crazy self. Frances McDormand. She's just, you know, she's up there for sure. Big Leo guy. Leonardo oh, actors, DiCaprio. Actors, actors. I said actresses. Actresses? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, Frances McDormand. You got Emma Stone, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, Emma Stone. Let me tell you something. Oh, my God. She was incredible in La La Land. Still haven't seen it. Yep. Yep. You haven't seen La La Land, and you still say that Emma Stone's one of your favorite actresses? I've seen her other pieces. No, I'm just saying you must really like Emma Stone. I appreciate that. Because okay. I think that's her best movie, personally. I mean, it was... Oh, remember that Oscars moment? Which one? Laughing. Oh my god. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Moonlight? More thunder. More um, thunder outside. This is really scary, guys. Daniel and I are kind of losing ourselves a little bit here. Yeah. We're going to try to stay with you. Let's <laughs> continue this. Wasn't it, wasn't it La La Land that got a... No, what happened was... I mean, it's, it's well documented. Every, everybody knows the story. La La Land. La La Land wins Best Picture. They go up, and I, I think the director or something, and he's reading... You know, he's saying, thank you, thank you, everyone. You know, we're so happy to have won. It's a Steve Harvey moment. Yeah, it's a Steve Harvey moment. And then they come out and they're like, oh my god, no, Moonlight won. And then Moonlight ended up winning. It was a, it was definitely a show of class and graciousness, I guess, for the members of the La La Land cast to handle that with such poise afterwards. But, right. wow. And you, and know, you know where Moonlight was made? Who wrote that? Yeah, yeah. Go Knowles. Yeah. Go Knowles. Yep. Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight, went to Florida State film. I think he has another movie coming out this year. But I thought the writers, the writers uh, of of Moonlight did it too, didn't they? What? The the writers who wrote Moonlight, I thought they went to Florida State too. Did they really? I don't know. Anyway, you know what's another great movie I just watched? What? Another movie that I think could be in some Oscar contention. You want to talk about a great sports fan, a famous sports fan? Spike Lee joint. Spike Lee joint. Black Klansman, a movie that came out, I don't know, pretty recently. And it's pretty much about a black police officer in the 19, I don't know, 1970s, early 1970s, who pretty much goes undercover alongside, um, alongside a Jewish police officer who is played by by Adam Driver, you know, oh, yeah. Kylo Adam, Ren. Kylo Ren. And so it's two investigative, two investigative guys who infiltrate 
Wow. Daniel just told me how much time we put into this podcast already. We're doing great. Anyway, thanks for thanks for distracting me, Daniel. Sorry. Continue on. Continue on. This podcast is something else this week. <laughs> it, really, it really is. It really is. So anyway, they infiltrate the KKK, the Black Klansmen, in the title. It's the Oh! Oh, Nelly. Zooey Mama. That was right there. More thunder outside. More. <laughs> it's, it's almost like the thunder is our first... Um, it's our first guest on the podcast. Yeah, well, welcome, Thunder. Uh, it's a friend of the show. It is. But anyway, back to, the, to, back to my really bad description of the movie that I watched last night. Black Klansman, the Spike Lee joint, has a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's probably one of the cra- craziest plots for a movie that I've seen recently. And it's so cool to watch a movie be so creative in the sense that, oh my god, it's, it's kind of based on... It's a, it, draws off um, events that happen in real life but yeah it's crazy this plot of a black guy pretending to be a member of the KKK this black guy literally became a member of the KKK like he even got a card and he got his membership and as the thunder continues outside I'll continue at the end of the movie right right he saves a day and he prevents a KKK attack on um a political leader in Colorado Springs where he's from, right? And you see this juxtaposition between a KKK meeting and like a Black Panther meeting and how like similar it is in the sense of more thunder, how similar it is in the sense of that mob mentality that leads to, you know, violent action but how different it is and like the whole idea of it being love versus hate. Yeah. Right? And then the movie actually ends, this whole political film about the KKK actually ends with some shots from Charlottesville last year. Last year in Virginia, right? Wow. Yeah, and then Trump's comments about how everybody involved was bad and how there were some good people that were part of the um, alt-right protesters. I, I thought it was a really interesting movie. Um, especially in the political climate that we're at in such a divided country right now. Very true. But yeah, that was my best attempt at a recap of this movie as the thunder continues outside. Well, you know, Spike Lee joints, I'd say are pretty good, so uh, I'll give it a watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, like, like, come, come on. on. Come on. All right, well, on that note, thank you guys for uh, showing some love and listening to our podcast. Thank you for Thunder for coming out and giving a guest appearance at the end. Shout out to Thunder. Shout out to the Thunder. Not the Oklahoma City Thunder. No, no, no. Not Miami Thunder. Well, this is gonna uh, this is our last podcast in Miami. So next week, Tallahassee. Jenny Murphy. Wow, he said it at the same time. Till next time, I'm Daniel Rauschberger. I'm Thomas Martinez. We can do better. Mm-hmm.